daily lectionary comments for Saturday of Easter 2 concerning uh, Exodus chapter 32 verses 1 to 14 regarding the golden calf and Luke chapter 6 verse 20 to 38 which records Luke's analog to Matthew's Sermon on the Mount, which is often called the Sermon on the Plain. Exodus chapter 32, it takes a, returns from all the legislation regarding the, the uh, sanctuary and, and priests and all of that, and refocuses on the sort of the narrative, what's going on. And this is a very famous passage uh, regarding the construction of the golden calf. It, note that quickly, it, it, it begins by Moses being gone for a long time and the people, you know, get anxious and don't understand where he is and finally just figure that he's never coming back again. Uh, there's something for, for every Christian to think about, and that is that faith is always tested by waiting. You don't really have faith for something that's right in front of you and it's happening right now, but when God makes you wait, when you pray and you have to wait, uh, when you have to live in, in, uh, in expectation of what God has promised, that tests your faith. And these people had their faith tested because Moses was gone and he was supposed to come back and they simply were impatient and figured that he probably wasn't. So they failed the test of faith. The people make an idol. Now, what, what does this really mean? This, this doesn't so much mean that the people decided that, they, that the, what they had seen, what they had witnessed throughout these last days with the, uh, the death of the firstborn, all the plagues on Egypt, the crossing of the Red Sea didn't really happen, but it was really these, these little, little golden calves that, that did it. That's, that's not really what's going on here. What's happening is that the Israelites have done exactly what God said not to do, and that is they made a rep, what they considered to be a representation of this God who brought them out of Egypt, and they used forms of worship that were, that were familiar to them from their days in Egypt because the Egyptians believed that, that cows and cattle were, were sacred. And so the purpose of the idol, it wasn't that anybody thought that these golden statues actually had power. What they thought, however, is that God was to be worshipped in this mean, and, and he, somehow or another, he was made present by something like this. This was the proper way to imagine God and to come to him and to worship him. And of course, this is absolutely uh, contrary to what God had said. It reduces God in every way. It, it makes a caricature of God, and uh, it immediately begins to mix the religion that God is revealing to Moses with the religion that the people had grown up with in Egypt, which God has just made a mockery of. So this whole thing uh, just shows how quickly human beings revert to form uh, when left to their own devices. So anyway, the, the, the people right away break the first commandment and uh, make a, a, a carved image of God and, and, and decide that they will worship him uh, in this particular way. Now, God determines to destroy these people and uh, start over again with Moses. Moses pleads for the people. We see Moses over and over again, actually, in this role, pleading for the people, interceding for them. 
And then we see that God relents, changes his mind. He listens to Moses and decides not to destroy the people. Now, a little thought here. Now, this is, one could look at this and say, well, you know, I, God is getting angry and, and, you know, he loses his temper and then Moses has to settle God down and then Moses speaks reason to God. And so then God, you know, seeing the reason that Moses has, you know, me the bad things that would come if he were to destroy these people. So God changes his mind. It's not a very flattering picture of God when you look at it that way. But what we have instead is a, a picture in human terms of what is happening here. So in other words, yes, God is very angry and, and determines and tells Moses he's going to destroy these people. But this isn't a fit of anger. This is a confession that these people are absolutely not capable of, of being uh, worthy of my presence or my name. And so this is pictured as though God is a human being with this kind of emotion, but we shouldn't really see God as that way, as, as sort of just getting miffed because the people have so quickly reverted to form. Nor should we understand that Moses sort of persuaded God. You know, he was really going to do it, really going to start over again with Moses. Yeah, but but Moses spoke reason to God. This is a this is an accommodation to us so that we may understand a little bit better um, the nature of what we're doing to God. Not so much to understand the inner workings of God's feelings. God knew He wasn't going to destroy these people, but it was an opportunity for Moses to step forward and do a very Christ-like thing, and that is intercede for the people, which is very beautiful. Then also we can see that God changing his mind does not mean that, you know, he really was going to destroy the people, and now he's not. But instead, to understand the power of intercession and also the nature of our rebellion. We absolutely deserved for God to reject and destroy us, uh, and it is on account of God's mercy that he doesn't. This is framed as God changed his mind but in, or, and relented from what he was going to do. But you might really consider that every act of mercy from God is sort of a relenting from doing what he ought to do. Yeah, we'll take a quick look at uh, Luke chapter 6, beginning at verse 20. Uh, we have a, another... Um, uh, another sample of Jesus preaching. And this time, Jesus is going to be delivering sort of some core principles of the kingdom of God. And one thing that will be very clear here is that, uh, uh, you know, we've talked about the friction and the old and the new and the fact that, that the kingdom of God just doesn't fit in the categories that, 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 that the Jews have been working with. And we see in Jesus preaching now, he's, he, it's, it's like a world turned upside down. He's first going to talk about those who are really blessed, even though they may not seem to be blessed. The poor, the hungry, those who weep now. And then he's going to talk about those who may be in grave danger, even though they may not seem to be in grave danger. The rich, those who are full now, those who laugh now, for example. So these are it's more surprising teachings from Jesus where what you see is not actually 
um, a good representation of what's going on. And then another surprising teaching of Jesus is the idea that we must love our enemies. And Jesus makes it, you know, the, the habit among people is to do good to those who do good to you. And here he says, love even your enemies. Now, very, very quickly, to love does not mean to like. To love means to treat these people according to what's the best for them, how God would have us treat one another, rather than treat them according to how they've treated us. So as Jesus died for all people, even those who crucified him, so we also should do good for and desire good for even people who don't deserve it. You can love your enemy by treating them the same way and according to the same standards and and laws that you would treat somebody whom you like. We don't suspend the law and our morality because we're dealing with somebody we don't like. We don't lie to people because we don't like them. We don't hurt them in their body just because we don't like them. We treat them the same way and uh, uh, rather than just doing what everybody else does. And that is, uh, you know, you scratch my back and I'll scratch yours. You do good for me. I'll do good for you. Jesus is saying that the kingdom of God is not going to be like that. It is something new and something different. We're going to love all people, including even people we don't like.